Hello, flight instructors and NAFI members. This is John Niehaus, Director of Program Development for the National Association of Flight Instructors, and I'd like to welcome you back, as always, to the NAFI More Right Rudder Podcast, the podcast for flight instructors on the go. And uh, one quick thing, um, if I can encourage you, if you like this podcast, it would really help us out if you could subscribe to however you're listening to it, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, um, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, iTunes, um, any of the places that uh, that you might be listening to this. Every subscribe helps, and uh, find us on YouTube, because every subscribe helps there too, and there's some pretty cool stuff. Um, so if, please, please, please help us out if you could. And uh, today's episode is brought to you by, and you'll know why in just a moment, but our friends at Gold Seal Online Ground School. Now, Gold Seal is a wonderful company, and they uh, have some really great educational programs um, for private pilots, flight reviews, flight instructors, and a whole number of other things. And uh, you can find them at groundschool.com. Once again, Gold Seal Online Ground School. Um, wonderful product, wonderful company. And the uh, podcast episode today is going to be an interview I did with their founder, Russ Still. Now, Russ uh, has a, a long-standing background as a flight instructor and uh, has uh, been working on on gold seal for a long time and uh, i think his hard work has paid off because uh, the the quality products that they have is fantastic and his stories are really great so um russ is going to get into uh, what made him uh, decide to become an instructor what drives him um, to uh, to follow his passion as a flight instructor and sort of lessons that you can learn as a flight instructor yourself. So uh, I was uh, very pleased that he was willing to do that with me, and I think it turned out really good. I hope you enjoy it. So once again, this is my 10-question challenge with Russ Still. Today, my guest is Russ Still. Now, Russ has over 20 years of instructional experience. He's a CFII, ATP, and Gold Seal instructor. He's an eight-time master instructor, owner, CEO, and chief instructor of Gold Seal Online Ground School, which was founded in 2003. Russ, welcome. Well, thank you, John, and I appreciate you inviting me. Uh, You've had a great group in the past, so uh, I feel honored to be included. So well, I appreciate it. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. And a personal thank you for letting me borrow your team for the day. <laughs> it has been an interesting day. Electronics are crazy things. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll just jump right into it. Uh, question number one, was flight instruction your uh, original career plan or was it something you never anticipated doing? It was not uh, in my career plan at all. Um, I, it didn't appeal to me. Uh, I guess I was probably working on an instrument rating. And my instructor said, you know, or you, do you have any plans to become a flight instructor? And I said, no, I'd, I'd hate that. I'd hate the job. And he says, I don't think you would. And apparently he saw something in me that I guess I didn't see in myself. Because uh, once I did decide to move into that direction, which really wasn't too much of a tangent from what I was already doing anyway or what I had done in previous careers, um, 
it seemed to be the right move. So no, it wasn't in the plans, but it just kind of evolved. And, and it's been probably the most satisfying thing I've ever done in any of my professional life. And I've been around a while. Yeah, well, they say that flight instructors wear a lot of hats. I didn't realize fortune teller was one of them. <laughs> well, my, I, was, I would have been a poor fortune teller, but my instructor was. He was a good one. He saw it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, reflecting on your instructor skill with your first student, how well do you think you did? Well, you know what? Listening to some of your previous broadcasts, I knew this question was coming up, and I've tried to think and tried to imagine, who, do I even remember my first student? And I remember some of the people early on, but I don't remember who my first one was. So I can't really go back to that. But maybe this might be of some interest to people. The way I kind of got into the flight instructing thing to begin with after I was already, you know, preparing for my check ride and that kind of thing. So I started flying in the back seat with other instructors. There were a couple of instructors that I really admired. So I started flying in the back seat with them, observing how they did things. And that kind of gave me the ideas on, you know, how to start out as an instructor. So when I went into my first student, even though that was my first legitimate, uh, you know, uh, learner, as they say now, uh, I'd really been working on it for a while. So it felt pretty comfortable. That part I remember. I had a couple of funny stories there, too, but we'll maybe morph into them as we go. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's great practice because they say that uh, what's the old adage? The flying of the airplane is the easy part. It's the yes. communicating while you're doing it that makes it difficult. Exactly right. And that's something that I've always uh, and maybe this is why my instrument instructor pointed out that he thought I would become a flight instructor at some point. I like to explain things to people. I'm, I'm not so bad that if you ask me about time, I explain how a watch is built. But I've always been fascinated, not about the why things work, but, but how do they work? And in my own learning, I always tried to figure out what from an internal level or most fundamental level, why does it do this? And when, if you take that kind of attitude, even towards learning to fly or for any kind of test, it actually makes it easier to figure out what the answers are because you understand what underlies it. And this is something that I worked uh, worked on in, in prior in, in my prior life as a as an as a developer we called them programmers back then but as a developer and uh, worked for a fortune 500 company and we had to anticipate what our users what the uh, financial analysts in the company wanted and you really had to think about what's this like from their side of things what are their needs how do they see this and that really translates into flight instructing really quite well Mm hmm. Yeah. And it's one thing to sort of understand. It's another thing to be able to then communicate it back. And just like a user for a program, not everybody's going to use it or understand it in the same way. So you got to be able to anticipate the needs. And that's really where the art form comes from. Yeah. And anticipation, that's the word. That's and that is a word that's in my vocabulary a lot. Anticipate what the uh, what the user's expectations or what is understanding or her understanding is going to be. And that takes, a, that takes some special skill. Um, I read something the other day, and it mentioned that uh, when a dialogue is going on between two people, most people, and I've certainly been guilty of this, we're listening, trying to anticipate what we're going to say next, rather than listening to try to learn or absorb what that person is saying, and from there, figure out what their feelings are. So, yeah, anticipating the other person is a big part of this equation. And that's why going up as a flight instructor in an airplane, just showing them how to steer the airplane around and uh, getting your time in, it's, there's a lot more to it. You've got to figure out what is it 
that connects with this particular person that makes it stick. It's, it's a knowledge transfer function. And mm-hmm. um, that's, that's what I'm all about is knowledge transfer. And that's, that's really the, the underpinning of this entire company is doing effective knowledge transfer. Yeah, absolutely. So many of us have had an uh, instructor mentor who showed us the ropes. Uh, who was yours and, and what was the most meaningful thing they taught you? Well, I've been, <clears throat> I've worked with a lot of uh, great instructors over the years. Uh, early on, uh, I guess I'd been instructing for maybe six or seven years, and I met Jason Blair, who had become the uh, executive director of NAFI, and he and I became friends. And the thing that I remembered about Jason and, and, and still recognize is he is such a great communicator. Uh, mm-hmm. He can talk about anything and make it interesting and make you want to listen. I just finished doing a flight instructor uh, refresher clinic, uh, and he was on in some of the videos, and that reminded me how good he is at actually expressing and transferring information to the listener, and that's something that we all need to to do better at. Uh, I've been uh, very close friends with David St. George and uh, uh, Rich Stoll and and, uh, Doug Doug Stewart. Everybody who I've talked to has done, has helped me. So I have, I've been, I've been lucky to have a lot of these people that I could go to for advice and very well taken. Yeah. I mean, that's a fantastic collection of, uh, of mentors. And, you know, the cool thing about the, the communication and making it something that appeals to people is also being able to translate it from a single interaction with one person to expanding into a group and being able to do it in a, a seminar format. I mean, that's just, uh, it's a really cool thing. Yeah. And that's, that's really the broader audience that, that we cater to is the, the bigger group. I, I do a little bit of one-on-one instructing. In fact, I've got a primary student who's got a nice, beautiful 182 right now that we're, uh, that I'm working with, but generally speaking, I don't do any one-on-one anymore. I, I did it for a lot of years. Uh, and I learned a lot from the process, but when I was doing one-on-one instruction, honestly, my favorite part of flight instruction was not in the airplane. I enjoyed the grounds portion, the ground school, the, the, the one-on-one with a student at a table in an airplane model. I liked that more than flying the airplane. So it's this whole concept about aerodynamics and aviation that I just love to talk about and what better way to, to, do it than to package it up in some form that someone else can benefit from. So I put a lot of time into those kind of uh, in-person discussions, knowledge transfer situations. Uh, we did, uh, unfortunately, COVID came around, but we started a seminar on uh, engine failures after takeoff, and we were taking that around the country uh, until COVID hit. And that's a different group altogether when you're talking actually up on a stage kind of environment. I remember one of the earlier ones we did, we did it at a big fly-in called Triple Tree. And we had a, a big airplane we were sponsoring at the time. So, so we had a stage set up in front of the airplane and it was going to be at night. So we, we had all these lights in and I couldn't see a soul out there. So I was just talking to this big black hole, which was kind of a novel thing. Every now and then I'd heard some, I'd hear a cat call or somebody laugh or something, but that was <laughs> speaking to groups is a different thing altogether. And there your goal is you have to keep them engaged and you have to keep them interested because uh, they're only going to be with you for an hour. And if they're not, if they're not engaged and find what you're saying compelling or interesting, you've, you've lost them. And that really goes mm-hmm. back to, to even one-on-one flight instructing too. You have to keep people engaged. 
Absolutely. And that segues to my next question of uh, what is the most valuable non-aviation skill you've learned um, being a flight instructor? I would say learning to listen better. Uh, it goes back to that word we talked about earlier, anticipating um, with a student, be whether or not I'm delivering it online in some type of video or pre-programmed format, or I'm in the airplane with a student, I'm a firm believer that you have to understand where that person is coming from. If, if your goal is to impart some type of information to this person, you have to figure out what works best for them. First of all, what things are going to confuse them? How can we deliver that those types of things so that they are less confusing, so that it clicks, so that they get it? Uh, you have to anticipate the things that they may not tell you. Uh, maybe they're a little bit uh, concerned about steep turns or emergency descents or something like that. I guess a couple of funny stories about those too. Uh, but I would say the biggest skill that I learned was how important listening is because you can't transfer knowledge or information to someone else if you don't really understand what makes them work. And listening is the way to do that. Mm -hmm. And even understanding just how they are in the moment, you know, are they stressed out? Are they tired? Like you said, there's a lot of things they're not going to tell you and you can sit there and you can try to impart that knowledge, but it's just not going to be effective. Yeah. It's gotta be a, it's gotta be a conversation between you and your student. It's, it's not a, mo a, a monologue. I'm not uh, dictating a lecture to you as an instructor to a student, you know, it's got to be a two way street. So you have to absolutely develop some trust. The student has to develop trust in you so that you can have an open dialogue. And that's when information starts to uh, freely flow, I think. So what's your most uh, enjoyable thing? What do you enjoy most about flight instruction? Well, again, it goes back to this idea of figuring out ways to impart knowledge or ideas to uh, other people. Everybody is different. Um, I'm not a minimum standards kind of guy. I think the ACS, for example, are a bare minimum. I don't think we should just try to get a student prepared for a check ride based on what the ACS says and then figured, okay, you've got 42 hours, you've done everything, you're ready to go. I'm a big believer in giving people what they really know, need to know to operate in a real-world environment. And a lot of times that goes farther than what the ACS goes. Um, so... Being able to push through and give people real-world information rather than just what is the, the strict um, minimum requirements. I think I may have even traveled off from the original question there, but that's where we ended up anyway. Hey, and that's what this is all about. No, this is, this is great. Now, you said you had some stories. I'm going to hold you to it because okay, yeah. what is your favorite scary, fun story as an instructor? Anything come to mind? Got you. I was watching the one you uh, did with Max Trescott, and uh, that, and he had a couple of funny ones in there. And you, and I started thinking, well, you know, I actually do too. Um, <clears throat> one in particular, uh, I guess we were working on. Um, I think we were working on emergency descents. This was a primary student. Uh, I was doing. We were training in a two hundred six, so we had he and his brother actually got their certificates in two hundred six. Um, a lot of instructors told me I was crazy for doing that, but it worked out just fine. But at any rate, the goal was we were going to get the airplane down to the to the top of the the green arc, you know. So, but he locks his arms forward like this, and he freezes there, and he oh. won't let go. I literally had to reach across him and break his arms like that. I mean, he just froze. Wow. Um, 
And I have seen this freezing thing happen a couple of times. I was with a student. I was doing transition training in a, a Cherokee. I think it was a Cherokee 260. And we had an engine failure. <clears throat> Came out okay. But the first thing he did when the engine quit was just took his hands off the yoke and just up in the air, you know, just gave up. And I thought, wow, you know, you're a pilot. You don't, you don't ever just throw your hands up and give way, give up, you know. When you have a problem, take charge, fix it, you know. And so those, those were some interesting stories. Uh, there was another one about primaries training that I learned something definitely from. And this, this may have been my third or fourth or fifth student. And he was soloing in a Cessna 172. And at that point, I was allowing solo students to do touch and goes. I don't anymore for this reason. So he was out there in his first touch and go, and I guess he had either 20 or 30 degrees of flaps in, but whatever it was, he didn't clean the airplane up. He didn't get the flaps up. He put the power in, and the airplane anemically limped off the runway up into the air. And he, he got around and everything okay, but he landed after that, and he just said he was terrified, and he never came back. Actually, he came back and flew with me one more time, but that was it. And there's a real moral to this story about having students even doing touch and goes. Uh, it seemed to be the expedient thing at the time, you know, get a lot of landings in by doing touch and goes, learn to clean the airplane up. But there's a lot of learning to be had by simply learning to taxi off to the off the runway, walk into the ground controller if you're at a towered airport, going back for mm -hmm. another takeoff. So I stopped doing touch and goes with students unless that I'm actually in the airplane with them. Um, there's just no, it's, it's not worth the extra time. So I learned something from that, from that story. Uh, poor guy, I wish, I wish he would come back to aviation now that I've had a little bit more instructing experience. Yeah, but I mean, that's a good lesson. Um, yeah. it, it's kind of the same lesson of not doing stalls with students on their first flight. You know, oh, yeah. whether they're actually frightening or not, people have the word stalls built up in their head as this super frightening thing. And so regardless of how calmly you're able to do it, you might still frighten them away. And, and so knowing that having to learn that lesson, even if it's the hard way, um, is a good one for instructors. Yeah, that, you know, that's that's it is an excellent point. There's no reason on a first, second, or maybe even third lesson to be hitting steep turns and stalls and things like this. You want to make the learning experience enjoyable. First of all, uh, these people are paying us. We work for them, and it's not our job to try to scare the pants off of them. But mm -hmm. for more from a, a, a knowledge transfer standpoint, we need to make this a fun, interesting experience and let them, let them work up to those points where they're ready to handle stalls and any kind of things that stall is such a funny word when people use it all the time. The, the engine stalled, you know, I hear that mm -hmm. one as we all do, but yeah, keep away from the scary stuff early on. Give people, give people the information that they can handle at that time. And then once again, that goes back to that listening concept of try to understand what works best for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to make one more point, and that's uh, I noticed in your first story, you mentioned that, uh, oh, yeah, we had an engine failure. No big deal. Turned out OK. And uh, I, I just I smiled because that is the sign of a true instructor, because a lot of other pilots may try to say that same story and they do it with a lot more emphasis on, oh, this happened and that happened and we were lucky and this and that. And an instructor uh, just kind of goes, well, you know. We, we did what we had to do. We, we finished it, and uh, everybody came out okay. So uh, it's a good day. Just well, thought it was an interesting point. Yeah, and you know, don't you think that's probably a good, uh, a good experience 
or a good way to, to be around your students, to let them know that problems happen. We don't have to go into panic mode. We need to stay in calm as a virtue. Uh, getting scared and not paying attention is, is what you want to avoid. So I think all flight instructors should try to portray to the students that, you know, things happen, but we handle them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in your mind, what quality or skill makes for an exceptional flight instructor? Well, you know, I, I hate it, but I always keep coming back to this same concept of listening to, the, to, your, to your student, learning about what your student, how they respond to things, what works for them. So it's, it's an interpersonal skill, really. I think that's the biggest thing about being a good instructor is to have very, very good interpersonal skills and be willing to uh, accept that some people see things differently from the way that, you know, I may see it. Yeah, the old adage of being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. Excellent. Yes, absolutely so. That, that's, that's absolutely true. So what aspect of flight instruction best prepared you for what you do now? Well, I did a lot of writing. Um, it's funny, I've had kind of a, a, a eclectic background, uh, but I, I, I did a lot of writing for technical magazines back in the... Uh, Primarily in the 80s and 90s, I, I wrote a couple of books, uh, and I liked this idea. It seemed to be the one thing that I had a knack at was putting words on paper. So uh, I liked this idea of transferring, again, information or a concept from one person to the another. And it's all a function of how well you, you can craft your story using the tools you have as a writer. They're only words. Uh, I did bring a couple of props here, anticipating this question. Um, anticipation, it used I to love be, it. I'm sorry. I said anticipation, I love it. Yeah, yeah, we're back to that again. Uh, I was a writer back in the early 2000s for a regional magazine, magazine that was starting to go um, national, and I managed to get a, a lot of the cover stories. Uh, got to do one on Robert L. Scott, uh, God is my co-pilot. And that was a fun one. I was able to interview a lot of very interesting people. Um, Lee Lauterbach. I had flown a few years before with him in Crazy Horse. I'd ponied up for the money for that. but had a great time. So I already knew him a little bit. But this, this particular article was particularly fun because I didn't even interview him. What I did is I went out and found people that he knew that were well-known aviators. Uh, Arnold Palmer, who was a person he originally was a pilot for, and Arnold Palmer was a jet pilot himself. Chuck Yeager, Frank Borman, wow. uh, Kermit Weeks. Uh, so I interviewed all of these people for this story, and that's what the story was about. And it made a really varied perspective on what Lee Lauderback was like. Everybody had excellent things to say for him. Chuck Yeager was probably the, the least willing to heap praise on somebody, but eh, that was his personality. <laughs> and then awesome. uh, the magazine sent me out to Texas to do a, an unusual attitudes course, a two days course with an outfit that's not there now, uh, T-34s. And unfortunately, well, fortunately for me, uh, everything went fine. And it made me start thinking about this concept of maneuvering flight and loss of control, which has certainly morphed into one of my bigger things right now, which is uh, engine failures specifically after takeoff. Mm -hmm. uh, but interesting story about this, sadly, was uh, this was right before they had a bunch of uh, T-34 wing spar failures. And in fact, mm -hmm. at this company that I was at, 
two weeks, not two weeks, I think it was about two months later, one of the T-34 wings folded up and killed the guy who had been my IP uh, in my training. And then about a month later, the owner of the place, he's, he folded up another T-34. And I think that was actually when they all shut him down. But um, I really enjoyed putting the article together. And that's led me, that particular article led me into my main thrust now of this engine failure after takeoff thing and this whole concept of the impossible turn. Uh, every time I say that, I have to qualify by saying I, I don't like the term impossible turn. If it's impossible, it's impossible. Uh, the FAA calls it the turn back, but maybe that's another thing we could talk about on another day. Sure, sure. So it's kind of a different spin on the same question, but how did you utilize your time as a CFI to, uh, to achieve what you're doing now? Well, that's, that's a pretty interesting one. I had worked at a flight school. I'd actually worked at a couple of flight schools, and I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a go-getter person. So I rented some office space on the other side of the airport. I just went over and opened up shop by myself. I got somebody to a, to a lease back with an airplane, and I just went into business by myself. But as I mentioned earlier, I'm, I do a, tend to give a lot of ground instruction to primary, well, for instrument students especially, too. Mm -hmm. uh, but we always spent a lot of time on the ground, and I just realized that I had I was given the same ground speeches over and over again. So I said, hmm, there's an automation way I can, I can ease, ease my burden here. So I rented the office space next door to mine, and I set it up as a little library in there with a TV and some VHS tapes at that time. But then I also went through and made a whole bunch of uh, PowerPoint lessons with, uh, with narration in them that people could watch through. And instead of me having to sit to, to go through and give instruction in, uh, I don't know, short field takeoffs, excuse me, <clears throat> I can actually sit them down at the computer and let them spend 15 minutes going through something that's a little bit more polished. And it was just a fact that I, I was just doing it over and over and over again. Why not find a way to automate this? <laughs> and my, my brother, who was also a pilot, came to visit one time, and I, I, I was showing him this. He says, you know what? You could sell that. I said, hmm, really? And that's where the Gold Seal Online Ground School came from. Not done as PowerPoints anymore, but uh, that was really the genesis, the genesis of that was a, uh, I had a problem. I had to figure out how to more effectively talk to people. So let computers help out. I love it. I love it. Last question. Um, so if you could give a new instructor one piece of advice for success in the profession, what would it be? I think Max <clears throat> used this same one, and I would, I would agree, too. It's specialized. Now, when you're first coming out of the chute, you're a, a fresh CFI. Obviously, you know, you can't really do too much in the way of specialization. Uh, you've got primary students to deal with. You have instrument students, commercial students. And it's pretty much the same, the same drill using the ACS. Obviously, finding better ways to make it work, but doing the same thing. But in the long run, specializing is, is where... Uh, Probably people find their long-term love because they can get into, I mean, there's no reason for, I mean, uh, Gary Reeves is a, is a good example. Uh, he's excellent with avionics and look what he's done. He's specialized in that. The guy is in, in tremendous uh, demand and it's because he specialized and he loves what he does. So I think specialization mm -hmm. in the future, work towards that is how anybody is going to be really successful and fulfilled as a career flight instructor. 
Yeah, I mean, you find what you really love and people recognize that and they want to come to yeah. you because they know it's what you really love. Yeah, if you're enthusiastic, they can tell it. And people gravitate to that. If you're an, an enthusiastic presenter, people listen. Mm -hmm. Well, Russ, that's all my questions. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time today to uh, to talk to me. Do you have any uh, final thoughts or, or I'd love to hear just a, a quick plug for uh, Gold Seal if you got one? Well, thanks. I'm always good for that. We'll try to make it a, won't make it much of a sales pitch, but uh, Gold Seal was the first company to have an online ground school long before any of the bigger names that uh, people will think of. Uh, these guys were still doing, uh, sending out DVDs in the mail when we were online with interactive um, lessons. So we've been doing it longer than anyone else. And the Gold Seal Ground School differs. There's so many of them out there now, but it differs in a couple of respects. One is that we cater to flight instructors. Uh, one of the more powerful features within Gold Seal is that instructors can join for free and they can monitor their students. They have a status page with all of their students on it. They click the status button and they can see exactly where, where that person is in their training. And for example, let's say an instructor tells his student that next week we're going to be doing steep turns. So I want you to go into section three of Gold Seal and watch that lesson on steep turns. Well, next week rolls around and the instructor can say, uh, can take a look and see if he did his homework. So uh, that's, that's one of the big things. The other thing is that it's interactive. Uh, virtually every other programs like this in this, in this space is, a, is, a, is our videos and they're very well done. There's no doubt about that, but they really aren't interactive. You, you start at the beginning, you watch a seven minute video, and at the end, you hopefully took some notes or something to help you remember. If you want to, if you want to go back, you have to scrub through and find the spot you were looking at. So our stuff is actually interactive. The student interacts with the presentation. So those are the biggies. So I really would invite anyone, and especially instructors, to come to groundschool.com and create a free account and uh, come be a part of the party. 